Thanks, Shreen. If you can keep your Bibles open to 1 John chapter 5. And as we come to God's Word, let's pray that He will speak to us. Lord, once again, we give you great thanks that you are a speaking God, that your words are uh, active, um, sharper than two-edged sword, and we pray that you will speak to us and you will shape us into your image, that we may go out praising you and shouting forth your glory. We pray that um, out of, as you shape us, our lives will be shaped, it will bring glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to finish uh, the series on First John uh, today before we move on to summer series uh, with Book of Psalms, uh, with Psalms. Um, but uh, um, yeah, let me start with this. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Up. It's a, it's a Pixar cartoon. It's a great movie with many lovable characters. And one of the lovable characters' name is Doug, Doug the Dog. He's able to communicate um, with humans uh, because he's got a collar that translates his bark into English. He's very good at talking until he gets distracted. And do you remember what distracts him? Squirrels. Yes, it's true. Squirrels. <laughs> he yells squirrels uh, in the middle of the conversation when he sees one and he's distracted like a good hunting dog would. Well, I think today's passage has a bit of a few squirrels in it. Uh, there are great things about this passage, and I think NIV heading is really not helpful here. It says concluding remark, but actually this is a great summary of the, uh, the entire book of John, an appropriate ending to this letter. Well, the first squirrel, the, the squirrel in this passage, I think is the discussion over sin leading to death. When you hear it, you think you want to focus on it, and actually you lose track of what he's talking about. John says in verse 16, if he sees any brother committing a sin not leading to death, he should pray. And God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say one should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. From this passage, the Catholic Church has developed this idea of venial sin and mortal sin. Venial sins are like little sins, uh, like lying or stealing, that does not need to be confessed, that does not uh, need an active repentance in order for you to be forgiven. But if people commit a big sin, uh, willingly and knowingly against God, sins are that those sins are unforgivable unless they repent. They are sins that lead to death, they, they, they would say. These are mortal sins. And of course, I think this is a good attempt to make uh, sense out of this difficult text, but really, this is not what John is talking about in this text. He's not concerned about the categories of sin. What he has been concerned about from the very beginning of this letter is to give you the assurance of salvation. He says, he actually gives us the purpose of why he wrote this letter in verse 13, doesn't he? He writes there, he wrote this letter so that you may know that you have eternal life. He's concerned to give you assurance. And this is a slightly different uh, from the purpose of his gospel. When he wrote in Gospel of John, John chapter 20, 31, you, that he wrote the gospel, he says, so that you may believe, believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing that you may have life in him. He wrote the gospel so that you may believe in Jesus Christ. And he wrote the, this letter so that uh, to give you assurance, give those uh, who already believe in Jesus the, the assurance that they are saved, uh, that you may, have, you may know that you may have life. In fact, the rest of this section is dotted with a, a phrase, we know, 
in verses uh, 15, 18, 19, 20, John says, we know, we know that we are saved already. We're in the first point. We know that we're saved already. John wants to assure us that we already have life. Uh, Edwin, we're still on the first point. Uh, that we do not need to veer to the left or to the right, that we should not listen to the false apostles, the false teachers, that we must hold on to the faith that has been handed over to us. We know that this is the faith that we already have. But how do we know? Well, John says, John has been writing in chapter 1, he has brought it up again in chapter 5, and now he concludes this letter with him, with chapter uh, in, in 5. Uh, we know this because Christians do not keep on sinning. You see, the focus in this first section isn't uh, which sins are forgivable and which sins are not forgivable. We're on the first point. There we go. <laughs> Um, that w- he's, not f- he's, not con- he's not focused on which sins are forgivable and which sins are not forgivable. It's not even really teaching on prayer, even though it sounds like it. John talks about prayer, and John talks about which for, uh, this sort of unforgivable sin so that he could conclude this whole section by writing verse 18. That's the focus in verse 18. We know that everybody who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. He's saying that we know that we have eternal life because we know that God inevitably brings in the Christian change, moral change in us. So that when we see a Christian sin, we should pray for them with the assurance that it is God who is already at work in that person's life, in changing them, in bringing about that moral change. You know that that prayer will be answered so he writes in verse 16, if anyone sees a, his brother's sin, commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray, and God will give him life. You see, this isn't a general teaching on prayer. It's tied to his teaching about inevitability of moral change in a Christian person. We know that that prayer, that sort of prayer, will be answered for sure, because God is already at work in that person's life. And I'm sure you already share that sort of confidence. Have you ever had people come up to you and confess uh, sins that seem trivial um, to you? I've had a friend who apologized uh, for who, uh, uh, making fun. Uh, uh, I've had a friend who apologized to her uh, for uh, uh, making fun of her, or, uh, but, uh, but she didn't even notice that it was happening. And you might actually have been, you, you might actually have been that person. You might have done something wrong, and it just eats, um, uh, it, it, uh, it bothers you so much that you have to go and apologize to that person. And you vow to yourself, I, I don't want to ever do that again. You see, that's the thing that John's talking about here. Christian will not continue to sin. If he commits adultery, it will plague him until he confesses his sin and reconciles with his wife or spouse. If he steals, it will haunt him until he goes and pays it back and never does it again. If he's proud, he will beat himself up for it. If he lies, um, it will eat into his thoughts and heart. This is because the person is a Christian. Christ is in that person. The Holy Spirit is in that person. So, when we see a Christian sin, we can pray for that person with the assurance and knowing that God will change that person. God will eventually bring that conviction of sin in that person's life, and he will not sin anymore. But you see, on the other hand, John tells us that you can't expect that sort of moral change in a person who is not a Christian, a person who has walked away from Christ. Because that is the sin that leads to death. 
what John has been writing against in this entire letter, following the teachings of Antichrist, those who oppose Christ, those people who are teaching uh, something other than Christ, following them leads to death because they draw people away from Christ, the source of life. So you see how he continues in verse 16. There is sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. He should pray about that. He's not saying that you shouldn't pray about that, but when a person walks away from Christ, you can't have that sort of assurance that that person will stop sinning because he's walking away from the source of change, source of life itself. So the effectiveness of that prayer is not guaranteed. Sin has an expiration date, but only for those who are in Christ. We know that as long as a person remains committed to Jesus, sin will not persist. The real worry is when people start doubting Christ and walking away from the faith. So John goes on to explain exactly why, why this change, how this change comes in verses 18 and 19. We know that this will happen because being a Christian involves this supernatural and social dimension. He says, we are born again. We've heard that phrase in John, from John in John chapter 3 in his gospel. He says in verse 18 that we are born of God. So much so that he can say in verse 19 that we are from God. We come from God, he says. We're no longer controlled by the lies of this world, but by the truth in Jesus Christ. Christ has become our Lord. Christ marks us, and Christ protects us because we have become his. At the end of a Harry Potter book, uh, the first book, is this fighting scene between Harry Potter and Professor Quirrell, who is possessed by the evil master Voldemort. And uh, uh, Voldemort screams, Seize him in this fight. And at his command, Coral grabs onto Harry's wrist. And at this, Harry yells, not yet there. Uh, Harry yells, uh, and Coral, to his surprise, lets go. And Voldemort again shrieks, seize him. And Coral lunges forward and puts both of his hands on Harry's neck. And this is what uh, Rowling writes. Harry's scar, I think this is the next scene, Harry's scar was almost blinding him with pain, yet he could see Coral howling in agony. Master, I cannot hold him, my hands, my hands. And Coral, though pinning Harry to the ground with his knee, let go of his neck and started bewildered at his own palms, stared at his own palms. Harry could see that they looked burnt, raw, red, and shiny. Then kill him. Fool and be done, screeched Voldemort. And Quirrell raised his hand to perform a deadly curse, but Harry, by instinct, reached up and grabbed Quirrell's face. Ah, he screams. And Quirrell uh, rolled off of him, his face uh, blistering too. Then Harry knew Quirrell couldn't touch his bare skin, not without suffering terrible pain. His own chances was to keep hold of Quirrell, keep, keep him enough pain to stop him from a curse. So Harry jumps up, grabs hold of Coral until Coral dies and disappears. And then the next scene is the scene uh, with him waking up uh, with Professor Dumbledore, the good professor. And he asks, but why couldn't Coral touch me? He answers, your mother died to save you. 
If there's one thing Voldemort cannot understand, it is love. He didn't realize that love, as powerful as your mother's for you, leaves its own mark. Not a scar, no visible sign to have been so loved so deeply. Even though the person who loved us is gone will give us some protection forever. It is in your very skin. Quarrel full of hatred, greed, and ambition, sharing his soul with Voldemort, could not touch you for this reason. It was agony to touch a person marked by something so good. See, the professor says that the sacrifice of his mother, his mother's death, had left a mark, mark so powerful on Harry that that love protects him. Voldemort couldn't touch him for that reason. You see how that illustrates verse 18 so powerfully for us. But he who has been born of God protects him, and the evil one cannot touch him. The evil one cannot grab hold of the Christian. This is why the evil one will not have a lasting influence on the Christian. And the Christian cannot keep on sinning because God will protect him. God will change him. God will call him. God will justify him. God will sanctify him. And God will eventually glorify him. All those who trust in Jesus. There is a transfer when we become Christian. Uh, There is a social dimension uh, to Christianity, isn't there? We are transferred from the realm of this world to God's kingdom. And John has talked about how then this gets expressed in the person coming to belong to Christ's community here on earth, the church. Those antichrists have left the church, left the faith, left Jesus, and therefore left the church, and therefore the teachings of the apostles Our transfer of membership from the world to the kingdom of God is expressed, actually, in in us, in in baptism, which is not an individualistic, individual event like we witnessed last week. It's when we, uh, when we come to faith, we come and we enter the community of God, community of people who hold on to Christ's teaching together here on earth. So we know that we have eternal life because we belong to God and his community here on earth. God becomes our ultimate protector. God, we have become people of God. So we know, um, we know that uh, we have life, eternal life, because there is a change in our moral life. We can't continue to sin. We know that we have eternal life because we belong to God and his community here on earth. There's that social dimension. But we also know all of this because we understand Jesus. Because we come to know him. There's a cognitive dimension to the Christian faith. So we have been transferred in the membership by coming to know Jesus, he writes in verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus, uh, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Throughout this letter, John has gone back to this basic message. Again, against the heretics who have claimed Jesus to be something less than God, he wrote that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, and God himself. He wrote the Gospel of John so that people would come to know Jesus. And he writes in this letter, in the strongest terms, to remove all ambiguity who Jesus is. He says, we are in him who is true in Jesus Christ. He is the, he is the true God and eternal life. 
He is the true God and eternal life. And that is the confession. That is the root. That confession is the root of the Christian faith. That is the foundation of the church, and that is the foundation of the Christian life. Only when we understand Jesus, only when we get to know him, we can say that we are in him. And this is why the last verse is such a, 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 an appropriate way of uh, concluding this whole letter. He writes, little children, keep yourselves from idols. See, everything else other than Jesus, life founded on anything else other than Jesus is idolatry. He's saying, keep yourselves away from idols. Get yourself back to Christ. Life other... Uh, 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 Anything else will not lead to life. Anything um, only in understanding and in knowing Jesus will we receive eternal life that has its effect even today. So let me summarize uh, this whole section and this book, the First John, with this picture. Do you see that understanding Jesus is at the root, that there is like, that cognitive dimension, and that starts all of our life. Jesus is at the root of the Christian life, and from that, all, the, all of our life flows. That understanding is the root. And if we come to understand him, there is a transfer. We are transferred from the world to the kingdom of God under his protection. We will then express that transfer of membership uh, by belonging to the new society that God is creating, his church. The fellowship of the believers, and that's the stem. There's that social dimension and then, and only then, changes will come. Our lives will be changed. Sinners will slowly be transformed. We will become loving as Christ loves us. Not because we have tried so hard to try to be better people. Not because we, uh, we have done something, but because we have been connected to the source of life, Christ. Moral dimension is the fruit. Changes in life is the fruit and this has all sorts of applications for us, doesn't it? Jesus being the root means that when something terrible happens in our life that shakes our faith, or when we do something out of character and are questioning whether we're a Christian, how can I do this if I'm a Christian or not? We don't ask ourselves, have I, done, have I, have I behaved well? Have I behaved like a Christian? That's not the question. Have I been a good person? Have I been a member of the church? Those are not the questions that we ask. Rather, we ask, what do I think about Jesus? Is he the son of God? Is he the one who unconditionally loves me and has given himself for me? Is he my Lord? If you are sure of those answers, then be assured. You are a Christian. Things will fall into its place. And it's not just about ourselves, but about others around us, too. When we see other Christian friends or family doing, uh, doing something, doing, doing terrible things, our first instinct is to go and correct the behavior, isn't it? Or we try to get them to come to church. But you see, moral change is the fruit, and the fellowship with the saints is the stem. The root is Christ. That person will need to come and, and know Christ again. We need to preach Christ. We need to remind that person who Jesus is. We, we need to remind that person with our lives who Jesus is. Christ is the root. And those who are not Christian, it's ultimately, um, the, the goal isn't to get them to change. 
their behavior. The goal isn't to get them into contact with Christians. Well, all those things might have their place, but ultimately what, we need to, what those people need to know is Christ. If you're not a Christian, the root of Christianity is not behavioral change. The root of Christianity is not fellowship here. The root of Christianity is Jesus. You need to know, you need to come to know Jesus. And then everything else will fall into place. You will enjoy the fellowship of the saints. You will come to be changed because you know Christ, because you are connected to Jesus. You know, I've chosen 1 John so that we become a church that is changed, that, that is loving, that overcomes the world. But once again, in order for us to get there, it's not that we have to try harder, harder, and we need to work on our behaviors better. In order for us to be, get there, we must continue to go back and again and again to Jesus and the message of salvation and the message of the gospel. That's the only way that we may continue as Christian, that we may continue to overcome the world if we understand Jesus, if we understand, if we have the right understanding of the gospel. Everything else will fall into its place. We will continue in our fellowship with, our, uh, uh, with the saints. Sins that have plagued our lives will lessen or even stop. As we end this series, I want to just remind ourselves, the basics, the root, is Christ. Let's keep to him. He's the beginning. He's the source of life. Dear friends, let's keep to Christ. Let's keep to Christ. And let's move away from idols. Let's pray.